Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Recorded live. Hey, this is Mike, and it's old religion dystopia, knowing versus beliefs. And, well, we got a, a guest that I've been looking forward to talk to for a long time. Joseph Atwell, the author of Caesar's Messiah, and uh, a lot of work with uh, Jan Irving from Gnostic Media, and uh, a series called Unspun. There's over 50 episodes, I believe, uh, close to that, it seems that way. Anyways, a lot of information, a lot of uh, interesting dialogue, and understand... Um, Oh, your world a little bit better is probably worth uh, listening to. So, anyways, uh, I'm really appreciative that Joseph is with us. And um, the reason is, and if folks have been listening to me know that I feel strongly about this, the importance, the importance of uh, sharing with people the fact of what the real message in the New Testament is. Because, you know, we have the three major religions of this Western quote-unquote civilization of Islam, Judaism, and Judeo-Christianity, or Christianity as well. Um, so I guess it would be, some people would say that's a fourth <laughs> movement, but whatever. The fact is, the vast majority are waiting for something to happen that is never going to happen. And that is this end-time scenario. And this whole thing about of a second coming. If it did happen, it happened a long time ago. They've been using this false narrative as a way of manipulating the masses. And it's very important, extremely important. When you're talking about billions of people that's in their subconscious, the bare minimum, are waiting for something to happen that's not going to happen. And it causes us to have, obfuscate our, our responsibility of our actions and our day, to what we do today. Really need to deal with this. So, with that, Joseph, thank you for joining me. And uh, as we talked a little bit, and you know, it's it's morning here, and it's morning there where you're at. And uh, I've been up all night waiting to talk to you, man. <laughs> so happy to talk to you. So. Well, it's great to talk to you, Mike, and thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, listen, let's talk a little bit about you. Um, share us a little bit uh, of your background. Who are you and why did you uh, end up writing such a controversial book called Caesar's Messiah? Because, man, the fellow rebel, I know <laughs> the consequences, the uh, – Has strong convictions and been really convicted to share this message. So, but talk to us about your background. Why? Well, the um, <laughs> I don't have any any particular training in uh, New Testament scholarship, uh, particularly in in college. I I was uh, 
Count your blessings. Count your I was interested in like computer science, um, and uh, that was really the major part of my uh, work life, or at least a large fraction of it. But I had grown up in Japan, um, and uh, we were one of the very first non-military families there. Um, and so um, I attended St. Mary's Military Academy in Tokyo. Um, it's a school that was created by the Christian brothers, but my direct instructors uh, were Jesuits. And so I had a kind of Jesuit training in the gospel. Um, we studied it every day, and I, was, uh, I, found, I found the character uh, Jesus Christ fascinating, you know, as a, as a young student. Um, as I got older, we moved back to California, um, and I just kind of fell away from the religion. I wasn't, um, I didn't have any strong negative thoughts about Christianity. It just wasn't something that was, um, you know, in my world, you know, I was doing other things and, um, but I was still, I'd always retained an interest in, in Christianity and, and read books about it. And of course I read about the Dead Sea Scrolls because, um, uh, you know, they were literature from the era. They talked about a Messiah. They were, um, in many ways, uh, sort of the beginning of my, my reading about the Dead Sea Scrolls, kind of the beginning of my adult scholarship. And um, can, I ask I, you, can I ask you sure. when, when you read that book, when the Dead Sea Scrolls, and when did you read it? Oh, it's been in, probably in the, uh, in the mid-'80s. I started reading about um, – Well, you, you were the one of the exceptions, so uh, – did you get a hold of it by a library? Did you, what, how did you? Well, um, I I uh, had read about them in articles in national magazines. There was an article in Time magazine I recall having read, and um, and there was the, you know, it wasn't clearly stated, but it was something that was sort of underneath the text that you could see people were kind of curious about the relationship between the sect since it was messianic, since it mentioned the Messiah who was going to rule the world, um, and Christianity. Yeah. And so um, I started um, reading them, um, and um, I was astounded that they described a messianic sect that was from, you know, reasonably the same era. There's some arguments as to exactly when the sect uh, was producing the literature, but it was certainly within a couple hundred years of the first century. And yet their Messianic movement was completely uh, warrior focused, xenophobic. They had a book called The War Scroll, which described these series of battles against um, the Gentiles, which led ultimately to um, you know, a complete genocide of them, or at least a symbolic one. Um, and so this just didn't make any sense to me because when I had read the Gospels as a kid, um, they talked about Jesus kind of wandering around this, you know, pastoral setting and giving kind of speeches about peace and love and things to all these assembled masses. And yet here was this um, warrior messiah cult. And my question was, well, how would the two groups have related to one another? Um, the 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 uh, Dead Sea Scroll group was beyond fundamental. I mean, they would um, you know punish uh, you know people for even the most mild kind of sexual transgression with 
you know, half starving them to death. I mean, they, they were very, very fierce. And, uh, Jeez, and so kind of sounds like the Bolshevik Revolution. Hey, listen, <laughs> uh, I don't like them. Anyway, so that when, was how when, I got into it. Yeah. When, do, when do you think? When do you think? The Dead Sea Scrolls were actually written. What time period is, is it talking about? Is well, it I, talking I prior, a, like yeah, prior eighties? I wrote a paper called uh, "Redating the Dating" with Robert Eisenman. Uh, Robert and I wrote a paper together. Oh, gee, about maybe ten years ago, um, which which gets into this in a very detailed way. It's available on the internet if anyone wants to go into it. Um, the carbon fourteen dating is not able to give a really precise date. No. Um, the so-called paleographic, the analysis of the characters and the, the syntax, again, it's just very approximate. I mean, I would say some of the scrolls would have been written um, either at the end of the first century um, uh, BC, so-called, or the beginning of the first century AD. Okay. Uh, I think a lot of them are earlier than that. Um, but the the date of the of the scrolls is not so important in my mind as to their relationship to the war, because this is really the sort of the key question when you're trying to understand the scrolls is in terms of their historical significance is, is was this literature the literature that was propelling uh, the Jews to rebel against the Roman Empire? Um, the Roman historian. He was a Jewish turncoat, but he ended up in the Flavian court. Uh, Flavius Josephus, who wrote the really only um, history of, of, the, uh, of the war that we have. Hey, can um, I ask you a question sure. before we go on? But please yeah. talk about him. But do you think he's a real person? Do you think he was a real no, person? No, I don't think so. Yeah, it's just like everything else. But, that's, that's, yeah. but still, I mean, it's, it still has its relevance. In this. Well, he is the historian, you know, and I, I mean, I can't prove that. I just don't believe it on the grounds that he's too perfect. In other words, um, when you look at Josephus, you have someone who has this absolutely incredible background that makes him completely authoritative. In other words, he was a member of all three Jewish sects. Um, and there is no one that is known to have ever done this, but he claims that he at one time was all, you know, a Sadducee, a Pharisee, and an Essene. Um, he knew the Roman imperial family. He knew Nero's wife. And yet somehow he was made the general of the uh, Jewish rebellion against yeah, Rome. Yeah, good point, good point. I mean, so, so when I look at this, these details, it doesn't add up to a historical person. What it, in my mind it adds up to is, is uh, someone creating a character to be completely authoritative in all these things so that the history which they're giving, which in my opinion is very, to a large degree, a uh, fake, uh, will be taken seriously. You know, in other words, his, and, you know, his and, you know is, it's, it's not improbable because if you look with just in our own lifetime and the information and the story, the, the spinning of the story with uh, the, Af the Afghan war or the Iraq war, you know what I mean? I mean, sure. we we don't even know what's really going on there, really, do we? So why couldn't they actually easily do that? So it's very get very valid point. So, but go ahead with the. Oh, anyway, so I just thought I don't I think Josephus is fake just because he's he's too perfect. Um, but anyway, so Josephus had said that what most propelled the Jews to rebel was their belief in the coming of a Messiah. So the the Dead Sea Scrolls talk about the coming of a Messiah. He's going to be a world ruler. All of the nations will 
obey him. And that seems to be a perfect fit to what Josephus claims as, as what propelled them. So I maintain that the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, basically are the literature of the Messianic movement that rebelled against Rome. And in that sense, they are basically a, uh, they are the basis um, for the Gospels in the sense that this was what they were trying to replace. Um, the Romans wanted to create a, a Messianic version of Judea that would basically contain the fervor that the uh, concept of the Messiah produced um, in a context of religion that would obey Roman uh, magistrates. So in that, from that perspective, Christianity is very easy to understand. It was just, um, you know, a Roman propaganda device um, similar to the uh, imperial cult that was such a massive bureaucracy during this era. And it was just to give the idea that uh, to Jews who would have otherwise been susceptible to rebellion that uh, all these Messianic prophecies uh, foresaw someone that uh, was pro-Roman. Yeah, very very logical. But, uh, but you know, he, it's, it's also we talk a, a little bit maybe about this archetype or this motif of this uh, coming Messiah that uh, the Savior of Because <laughs> you know what? All three major religions that uh, – dominate in the Western Hemisphere or the not the Western world. I mean, well, actually, even more than that, if you look at the East part too. But anyways, the world, the majority of the world has in their mind subconsciously or really believe in it or they know about this future Messiah. They still believe in it. I mean, we're talking the Muslims, the Jews, the Christians. They still believe in this thing. They're still yeah. pushing it. And the consequences of what this, the impact, what this entails for us uh, is the humanity, the human race. <laughs> Complete catastrophe, yeah. <laughs> it's been really one of the, uh, you know, it was a very evil, evil concept in its creation. The Romans had a particularly vain purpose for the idea of the second coming. Um, and it's just practically been a, catastrophe because it's been one of the the ways that uh, Roman Catholicism was able to basically keep uh, the feudal system intact for 1500 years and now fundamentalists are just so deeply confused by these words um I was, by the way I became one of those so I know well I was there too I mean I was a Christian as a young boy so I remember all of the you know and trying to make sense out of the the, the comings, the second coming, you know, of, of Jesus, as it was being explained to me, um, you know, in the gospel, see, there's actually one of the one of the points of confusion is that there's really two um, comings of Jesus that are described in the New Testament. Okay. Um, the one that Jesus Christ talks about is very precisely dated. I mean, he says that you know, it's going to occur before the generation that I'm speaking to passes away in a generation. By the way, this is, sorry. By the way, this oh. is very exciting right now. I'm so glad you're bringing this up. Please continue. Oh. Okay, well, I mean. It's really important. It's extremely important. Well, it's, it's important in the sense, yeah, it'll, it'll, it, it clarifies a, a situation that has confused a lot of people, and it's not hard to really um, to understand. I mean, Jesus precisely dates uh, when the second coming is going to occur. It'll be in 40 years with the with the war. Uh, he says, you know, this generation won't pass away. And then he actually gives details that will occur when this 
individual that he refers to as the son of man comes and all of this apocalyptic things occur. And he says, you know, the, the uh, Jerusalem will be encircled with a wall, the temple will be destroyed, the Galilean towns will get crushed, and the abomination that, that Daniel predicted will occur. I mean, these are just four of the things. And so, but those things are quite unique, and they all occurred during the Roman-Jewish War between 66 and 73. Right. And so um, Jesus has specifically dated as to when this Son of Man will appear. So now the question is, well, who is he talking about? He's addressing the individual in the third person. He's seeing him in a prophecy coming in the future. He doesn't ever say, this, this individual is me. He just makes the statement concerning the Son of, uh, Son of Man, and he gives the dates as to when this um, uh, catastrophe will occur. Um, you know, he doesn't use the, con the, the expression Son of Man. I mean, he uses the expression Son of Man um, when he's talking about the events uh, in, in, from the coming war. And so um, now the question is simply, well, when, you know, I mean, there's no recording of Jesus being there during the war. He didn't, uh, you know, the last we see of him, he's, he's uh, flying off to heaven. So we have to assume that it is at least possible that it's someone else who's going to be there and, uh, during the war and, and bring all these things to pass. And so then the question is, well, who claimed to be the Jewish Messiah during this period, right? That would be the first, you know, most natural question. And there was an individual who made the claim. Uh, he, he actually is the one who did all of the things that Jesus predicted. Uh, this would have been Titus Flavius, um, who was the can, son. I ask, can, I, can I ask you a question? Sure. Sorry. Yeah. Revelation 13 18 about uh, uh, the, uh, says here, uh, here is wisdom, let him that hath understanding, count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. Yeah. Is there any but, association with that? Yeah. Um. I. I. Uh, I don't know. I actually show in um, Shakespeare's Secret Messiah, a book I I wrote that goes into uh, the Book of Revelation and the relationship between the Shakespearean literature and the Gospels and. Uh, and the uh, whole New Testament, um, I show who, who the individual is that uh, the 666 is referring to. It is Titus Slavius. Um, 666 is Germactica. Uh, it's just a number system. And uh, one of the names that the, the, the system can produce, I show, is, uh, is the uh, Latin version, or is it the Greek version for Titus? Yeah, the, the, the Greek version for Titan, which is a lot, there's a lot of that 666 throughout the yeah. world, really is. And yeah, I mean, it's a, there's all kinds of numbers. Uh, the It's because the group that had produced the original literature used number puzzles, and so the Romans, when they produced their fake uh, Jewish literature, the New Testament, they kind of wanted to one-up them in all of the little literary puzzles. The whole um, typologic framework for the Gospels, which is really the basic a revelation in Caesar's Messiah, this kind of typology um, used as prophecy uh, and used as linking individuals from one time in history to another time, um, that comes from the Hebrew literature. The Romans simply kind of perfected it uh, okay. with the apostles. Now, we're kind of like talking also about the apocalyptic language and the figure yeah. language, and we look at like the burden of... Um, uh, Babylon, or if you look at the judgments of the Caesars, or you look at the judgments of uh, Babylon, you look at the judgments of 
Israel in the Old Testament, and you look at the judgment that's going on in Revelation, and also in uh, uh, Matthew 24, uh, that basically they're just using a figurative type of language, an apocalyptic language, to basically talk about a conquest or destruction of a certain. Yeah, I mean, it's a, one of, one of the things that really makes it confusing is that there were two literary. Um, pulses that produce the New Testament, one under Titus and one under Domitian. In uh, Caesar's Messiah, I just focus on the Gospels and I just focus on on the Jewish-Roman war because that's what the Gospels are about. And they're all linking into Titus Flavius. But when Titus died, his brother Domitian, uh, who was completely insane uh, as far as can be determined, uh, he took over the religion, he took over the literature, and then he produced um, the book of Revelation, Acts, uh, and the crazy character Paul. I mean, that's all Domitian <laughs> um, kind of uh, pseudo-divinity literature. Um, and so because of that, there's this confusion because the second coming that's described in the book of Revelation is so different than the one that, that Titus talks, or excuse me, that Jesus Christ talks about in the Gospels, okay. which, which, you know, foresees Titus. Um, um, anyway, so it's uh, the 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 the, um, uh, the coming that Jesus Christ talks about is is much simpler. The typology and all of the information is easier. So in Caesar's Messiah, I didn't even bother trying to get into the Domitian Book of Revelation stuff because basically it was written for people who already understood um, the the level of typology and the level of of kind of um, this comic mockery that uh, Titus had created with the Gospels. Um, so someone would need to understand that before they could really understand the, you know, the book of Revelation, all of the little puzzles inside of that. So I just, I just gave the, um, basically in Caesar's Messiah, just the simplest, easiest to understand way to get into the truth about Christianity, which is that it's produced by the Flavians. And, and so I just show that all of the events of Jesus's ministry are related to or typologically inspired by um, events from the uh, the war, and so all you have to do is just lay the gospels in a in a temporal sequence, which isn't hard to do, um, and then compare that literature to the events that are going on in um, uh, in Titus's military campaign that is being recorded by Josephus, and you can see that it's the same locations and that the uh, Many of the events are exactly the same. I mean, uh, you know, the crushing of the Galilean towns and the encircling with the wall and the raising of the temple and the, and the abomination of desolation. I mean, these are not, um, you know, there's nothing cryptic. It's, it's one event is that Jesus is predicting is, in fact, the very thing that Josephus is recording, right? Now, there are others that are a little harder to understand because, you know, they wanted this uh, typological level to be uh, hard to get because they were hoping to have the religion function for a while. And so, so it's on a, you know, the, this, this uh, deeper level is, is a bit cryptic, but it's not that hard. Once you, once you put the, the two, um, uh, you know, pieces of literature side by side, you can see a lot of the stuff is completely verbatim. And then other things are like uh, where, where Jesus begins his ministry at the Sea of Galilee. Uh, you know, he says, you know, follow me and become fishers of men. Well, if you're looking at uh, the beginning of Titus's campaign, it's, first of all, it's the same location. Um, that, that's this typologic system that exists between the Gospels and, uh, and the works of Josephus 
has uh, a number of components. One is um, location. Uh, the other are names. Uh, then there are concepts that are parallel. And then sequence. Sequence really is what makes it so simple to see once you kind of understand what the system is. Uh, and so in, in sequence, uh, you, you know, you, the Jesus comes to the Sea of Galilee where he gathers these disciples and he says, follow me and become fishers of men. Titus, it, to start his campaign, he comes to the Sea of Galilee. The Jews have fled into the ocean. He assembles his men and he sends, you know, he says, follow me. Don't be afraid. He, he mirrors Jesus's language. And then um, they go out, they sink the Jewish boats, the Jews try to swim to safety, and then the Romans catch them like fish. So there you have the fishing for men, you know, concept. Um, and then as you go forward, then, then, you, then you'll have, you'll see that, you know, there are events that are kind of symbolic, sort of cryptic, but then in between that, you'll see, wait a second, that's completely verbatim, you know, Jesus will say, you know, uh, um, you know, I'm sending the messengers ahead, and I want you to meet me at Jerusalem. And if you're following in sequence, Titus does exactly the same thing, right? It's just completely verbatim. And then when you get to the, um, you know, when Jesus makes it to Jerusalem, you know, he says, I, he predicts there's going to be encircling with the wall. And exactly at that point, Titus encircles the city with the wall. And then he talks about how you're going to raise the, uh, the buildings around uh, the temple complex. Titus starts to basically take the temple complex apart at this point, and Jesus says, well, there's going to be, you know, the abomination that Daniel predicted is going to occur. Josephus goes, well, miraculously, uh, you know, this is where the prophecy that Daniel had envisioned came to pass, you know. And so once you get the two um, uh, ministries, um, you know, kind of broken out into their um, – their concepts, the events and things, and lay them side by side, then it's, it's really not too hard. I, I actually have a chapter in, um, in Caesar's Messiah that, be, you know, because I didn't, I, I don't, you know, when you leap around, because there is a, a, a way to understand when events occur in the different um, Gospels, but that's a little complicated. So for, so for, the, for the bulk of the explanation, I just take one Gospel, and so then I just say, oh, here's the exact sequence that the Gospels have, and here's the exact sequence that these things are recorded in Josephus, and I just lay it side by side, and I go, here you go. And you can see that it's it just, to my mind, it's just impossible this could be circumstance. You're looking at a dependent literature that uh, the, uh, the events in the Gospels are dependent upon uh, the events in the war and, and the sequence. And so now once that's done... Um, then when Jesus talks about the Son of Man and he's going to come and do all of these things, well, now you don't have any confusion. Um, the yes. uh, the right. Roman historians were, were of one mind. I mean, all of the Flavian court historians, Tacitus, Josephus, Suetonius, they all said the same thing. They said, look, the Jews had this uh, prophecy about a world ruler Messiah. They were wrong. They thought it was going to be, one of, it was going to be a Jew. In fact, they were foreseeing the Flavian Caesar, the Flavian, you know, family of Caesars, which is the ones that came down there and, and did all this damage. And so the Flavians um, basically just took the title of Messiah as a trophy won in war, so to speak, you know. And then when they got back, they wrote this 
hocus-pocus gospel stuff um, about the character Jesus Christ who makes all these predictions and who just miraculously kind of walks along in a way that, that is a mirror or a typologic prophecy of what Titus does. Um, and, well, the, and so that it, so it could be absolutely, you know, we look at it, it was an, probably more, it wasn't, it was an absolute necessity yet, wasn't it? I mean, we're talking about allegedly 1.1, 1.2 million people perished in Jerusalem alone. Who knows how many others throughout the war? We're talking well, about the rebellion and maintaining yeah, the empire. That, and we know today we know how important propaganda is in order to maintain the empire. Yeah, so. yeah. One, one thing that people say about they go they go well, why would the Romans have needed to have written uh, the Gospels after they had already defeated the the rebellion? Well, that shows a misunderstanding of the history of the era because the the Jewish rebellion really began ar around the year one, and it didn't conclude until 135. And uh, the Gospels I think were written probably between like say you know 90 and 100 something somewhere in there. And during that period, the Messianic movement was winding up for another rebellion. Uh, 115, you had what was called the Kiddos Rebellion, and then after they put that one down, 133 had the Bar Kokhba Rebellion. And both of these rebellions, these aren't minor skirmishes. I mean, these are absolute genocidal bloodbaths. In the Kiddos Rebellion, 115, um, the Jews were able to get military control of the island of Cyprus. Uh, no, excuse me, of, um, I mean, it was, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Cyprus. Was, it, was it Crete or was it Cyprus? It may have been, I may have been Crete. I'm trying to think. Anyway, I'm yeah, I know what you're talking back. about. But anyway, the thing is, they got control of an island. They genocided the whole Gentile population, a quarter million people. They That's got a lot of people. Of, That's a lot of friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is they killed by hand that way? Oh, my god. They gosh. just killed them all. And. And so then they got control of Serenia, modern-day Libya. They depopulated it. Uh, after the rebellion, Rome had to send colonialists into the area to reestablish populations because they were all gone. Um, they got control in the Kiddos Rebellion of uh, Alexandria, uh, of the uh, breadbasket of Rome, the area you know, of, around the Nile. They controlled that. And so this was just an absolute bloodbath. It, it got put down, but it never really you know, died out. Rome had uh, had to have military occupation in a very intense way in the area of around Judea. And then in 133, it, it exploded again. And at that time, um, just like in 66, um, the Jews were able to drive Rome out of Judea. They set up their own nation state. They were minting coins. You know, they had a government um, and so this was when Rome just assembled everybody. They, they came in. There was an absolute bloodbath at the end of which there was the diaspora. The Jews were told to leave Judea. They couldn't come back. Um, and then that, you know, led to the basically the, the history that, uh, you know, brings us up to date in terms of the story. But um, so, so that was it brings, the— uh, It brings new meaning to Route 66, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and the thing is, is that— um, uh, you know, and so so this was where this was the period during which the Gospels were written. You know, it was after the first rebellion and before the second, and Rome was trying to find a way to um, basically use mind control to pacify, um, you know, the followers of the Messianic movement, and and not just. I don't think they really thought the Gospels could be used to uh, convert uh, zealots. I, I don't think they believe that at all. But what they wanted to do with them was to stop the missionary activity. 
the Jews were a large fraction of the Roman population. Different estimates, I've, I've seen up to 20%, but they were scattered everywhere. Yeah. And they, Josephus mentioned that what most troubled Rome was this missionary activity. They were afraid of the rebellion breaking out everywhere. And so, you know, if you look at like the, um, uh, the churches uh, described in the book of Revelation, they form a kind of circle around Judea. And I think that was, that was probably the basic idea at the beginning was just try to make it more difficult for the missionary activity to have uh, to take root because there would have been another messianic version. And that one would be confusing to, uh, you know, the missionaries because it was so pro-Roman and, and so that, that's what happened. We're talking about Asian mind. We're talking about the the Middle East. We're also talking about like pretty much the crossroads of the world at the time, you know, from East to West, extremely important area. Um, and uh, yeah, and if you're, uh, gosh, you know, I don't think we, I think we, if, if we, if, if kind of, if we can project it, only maybe symbolically, if, you know, if you look at World War II, uh, or during these major conflicts and the, the number of people who have died, and then look back and say, and then try, you know, we're talking about allegedly 2,000 years ago, and we're talking. <laughs> I mean that's a huge chunk of the population that was slaughtered, enslaved, or displaced. It yeah, was it was, major, it was, it was a major was, issue. There was really never anything like it during the uh, the the so-called epoch period of the Roman Empire. It was the the, the greatest threat to the empire that they ever experienced, and um, and yet somehow the the histories were, you know, basically not written. There is the Josephan history. Um, but, you know, they don't really talk about uh, the, this kind of life and death struggle that went on. I think that uh, Rome simply, you know, tried to, once the rebellion was finally put down in 135, they, they, been, they thought they would uh, try to get rid of that history. They wouldn't want it to be something that would inspire people in the future. I mean, I think they were always trying to manipulate the minds of the subjects in the empire. Rome was, uh, the Roman Empire was simply a prison of nations. And so it was important, you know, in order to maintain order, which is to say obedience, um, that uh, ideas about successful rebellions were, were not something that would be commonplace. And so they, um, they got rid of the histories and replaced them with uh, the New Testament. Yeah. Now, now, do you think that that's now where Constantine comes in? Uh, yeah, Constantine was like in the fourth century. Um, his name was Flavius Constantine, so I suspect he was a family member. I mean, pretty <laughs> I mean, easy to make that conclusion. Generations and generations. I mean, yeah, he would have been a, well over 100 years, you know, after the the last of the uh, three Flavians who were Caesars. But he refer, he his name was Flavius Constantine, um, and uh, and then he makes it or begins the process by which they make it the state religion. But he obviously knew um, that the center piece of the religion with Caesar, um, that the son of man that is really the most powerful and dominant character in, in the Gospels and, and is, in fact, the person that Christians are worshiping. I mean, they think they're worshiping this crucified Jewish individual, but the fact is it's the son of man who is the god of this religion, and that's Caesar. Well, Constantine must have known this because uh, when he made it the state religion, he created his his mausoleum, uh, and then he brought in, um, you know, uh, 
artifacts from all of the 12 apostles that claimed to have these bodies throughout the empire. And he brought them all in and he arranged them in a circle, uh, these, these funeral areas for each of the pieces of the bodies of the 12 disciples. He arranged them in a circle and in the middle he put his own grave. <laughs> so, so you get the, you get the picture. Um, you know, he, he was, you know, he, and, and of course, if you look at, um, uh, the title uh, that the head of the church takes is the Pontiff Maximus. That was, you know, that's the, the Pope. Pontiff Maximus was the title that the Caesars held as the uh, head of the Roman College of Priests. And, of course, you know, the Vatican uh, is on the Palatine, which is where the Caesars had their palace. So, I mean, basically, you know, if you look at it just from a distance, I mean, the, the Caesars don't move. They don't change titles. They just tell people that instead of military leaders, they're religious leaders. You know, we're not the general, we're the Pope. And, you well, know, they, you they, have, they have like not that thin veneer that they're religious. Yeah, it's just, it's just ludicrous, you know. And then they, the, they're they sitting there saying, well, you know, it's the pot of Maximus, and he's telling you that you've got this worker's paradise you're going to go to after you die if you just follow uh, our instructions and let us take all the food you produce and take your children and sell them, et cetera, et cetera. They basically accept slavery. Um, but the slavery has a religious context. It's not enforced by military rule. It's enforced by uh, religious psychology. And it worked great. Worked, worked terrific. It was 1,500 years. You know, they were able to pull the scam off. Um, you know, I mean, if you, if you study the behavior of the popes, it's just absolutely horrendous. You know, they were just so evil and venal, but uh, somehow they were able to keep the religion coughing along. And, and now, you know, the literature exists, and a lot of times people who have really good hearts um, are confused by the literature and, and the tradition. And, and so now you've got, you know, these thousands of different perspectives on Christianity, but unfortunately at the core, they're all basically worshiping Caesar. Still are. Hey, uh, hey, let's go back to the uh, if you're if you're willing to. Uh, I'm fascinating uh, insights that you have on this the story of the uh, the man who's possessed uh, by the legions of demons and then casting into the the pigs, the swines. Yeah, I mean that's what what, that's what, is, what is what is that? How's your take on that? Because it's it's a fascinating. It's very insightful. I. Yeah, I mean it's I'm uh, buying you know, this one, okay? The Gadara, the Gadara, the demons of Gadara, as they're called, and also Gestera. Um, I mean, basically, this is uh, there. He's the authors are representing the two um, um, leaders of the Messianic movement, uh, and they are Simon and John. Um, they are demon possessed. Um, this was the perspective of the authors of the Gospels that all of the rebels. Uh, were possessed by a demonic spirit, um, and that was uh, basically the spirit to, to rebel against Caesar. Um, and uh, and so, you know, the um, the way that that story is uh, is uh, described, if you lay it out next to what's going on in the history, you'll see that you have this one individual named John who's possessed by a demonic spirit. He infects a lot of other individuals. He, his, his perspective is like a disease. It's actually called a, you know, a disease that infects all of these individuals. Um, and so now Titus comes, uh, he attacks, um, 
he drives this group away. Now, they then go to another group. They get these young men, and they conscript them into their, their operation while they're trying to flee away from the Romans. But they can't get away, and Rome pushes them um, into a lake where they all drown. And so if you overlay the story that, you know, of the, of the swine being possessed by the demon, you know, the demons are in, inside the, 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 uh, the leaders, this, then, then the demons are a legion. Um, and, uh, um, you know, uh, and, you, and you compare the language with what's going on in, in the actual history of Josephus, you can see that, that it, they're very parallel and it just, you end up with the, this group of de- demonically possessed Jews, um, you know, uh, taking taking their spirit into a group of individuals who are characterized in the gospel as swine, and then the swine are run wildly down a hill and they run into the sea and drown. And it's basically the same location. and And the concepts are are you know you, they're cryptic, but you can you can definitely kind of see the logic of the story. Of, of the history reflected in the Gospels. And then what has been noticed, I didn't go into this in, in Caesar's Messiah because I thought it would just be too much for you know, a normal reader to, to wade through, but the, um, the Greek words that are used in the Gospels to describe this, um, this event are, are very, very militaristic. Um, you know, Greek is very specific and a military type word is used for military type events. And you know, so you not only have the the famous word legion, which of course is a military expression, sure. but there are like a half dozen other words that are very unique and, and and reflect military activity. And and scholars have noticed this; they didn't quite understand why the Gospels would use this language, but it's there for a, you know an alert Greek student to uh, to explore if they want to. But you know, this would be you know an example of kind of extreme cryptic connections because you know you've got on one hand you know yeah you you can kind of see the logic and the location is the same and if you you know if you some of the things are transparent like them running wildly down the hill um you know the 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 jews and the and the pigs are both described as running wildly down the hill and then they both rush into the sea and drown i mean those are pretty straightforward but um it's when you place these things into a larger context, a larger sequence that they're, you know, how, how obviously they're related just pops out. Um, the, um, you know, the way the system is developed, you've got stuff which is exactly the same thing. Like, I mean, in real, the classic one is encircling Jerusalem with a wall. Well, this only happens during this period one time. You know, it's an event from the Roman-Jewish War. It's only predicted one time in the Gospels. And if you're within the sequence of all of these events, it's exactly the same point. Well, you, you know, again, this is just overwhelming evidence that there's dependency between the two um, bodies of literature because you couldn't end up on something that is just self-evidently correct and absolutely unique um, by accident at the same point in the sequence if it was fake. If the sequence was not uh, deliberately constructed, you could never do that, let alone time and time again, you know, with all these other events like the abomination of desolation and the raising of the temple complex, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's brilliant, you know, because it, it, it's like, well, first of all, it reminds me of us today, uh, a fellow like you or myself. <laughs> Are we uh, compared, you know, when we compare ourselves to uh, how the uh, 
the whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, to see guys like us. I mean, we are the rebels of today's rebels, and are we yeah. the swine? And are we the demon? And their eyes, are they are we the the demon possessed uh, persons? And the, and they have to, you know, mind control us with uh, the media in order for us to accept their version of history. Um, you know, it, it, it really, it's, it's what you're dealing with is an eye for an eye. I mean, what the Romans tried to do in the first century is just being done in reverse at this point. Um, you know, they, um, they are giving us a version of history, which is just fake in my opinion. I mean, I think that almost all of the uh, events of history have been, as we understand them in the last, you know, 100 years, have been manipulated um, and, and constructed in such a way that they give uh, mind control power yeah. to, to the elites so that, um, you know, we, we can accept things uh, obediently. I mean, uh, um, you know, the most classic example recently is 911, which, in my opinion, is just ludicrous. Um, you know, they've got a building collapsing symmetrically uh, at free fall speed into its yeah. own footprint um, and supposedly being brought down by fire. Well, you know, I mean, anyone with application of logic would just go, wait a second, um, you know, a symmetrical collapse. There are no examples of this occurring except in controlled demolition. A free fall speed collapse. Well, wait, wait a second. There are no examples of this ever occurring except in controlled demolition. Um, collapsing into its footprint. Wait a second. There are no examples of this occurring. You know, beyond, uh, you know, the the examples of controlled demolition. So you see, when you have this number of singularities, you know, you can uh, you can just be sure that it's it's controlled demolition. This is this building is being brought down um, by explosive explosive devices inside it. Yeah, um, so, but you know what's amazing with the mind control thing that we're talking about? Most of us, when we first saw that, could not see that. Somebody oh, had I to point that I, out. I, I absolutely, Somebody it, had it, to point that out to us. Was, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, when when uh, I, I didn't believe it, uh, I just couldn't believe such a conspiracy could exist. I resisted. I never even bothered to look at this thing. I knew that there was a, a truth or movement, but I just thought they were, well, they're crazy. And then when on the, on the Internet, I came to this analysis of the building falling at free fall speed, and it pointed out it was symmetrical, and it just froze me in place, Mike. I just spent, I would say I spent probably 10 hours a day for a month doing research into controlled demolition, into the falling of buildings and things. I just couldn't believe it. But at the end of it, I realized, you know, something, I have been mind-controlled. I have been intimidating into not seeing what is absolutely self-evident, just absolutely clear. And so that, that was, you know, a, a kind of a, a light bulb because then I realized, well, basically the, what was going on in the, in the first and second and third centuries uh, is now continuing again. You know, they're just – Or always was. It all, it's always been there. It's yeah, just I mean, how they no, have a – There's no way to maintain an empire and rule yeah. without deceiving and lying to the masses. Exactly. Yeah. And and what they've done is they have complete control of the media. Uh, they bought up all the small newspapers. They have all the large media systems are well known to be owned by a very few groups of people. And, and the government has control or, or government. I mean, the, the, the their, their secret, government. Yeah, their the government. secret society <laughs> controls this stuff. And so you have this wall of it, which is of, of intimidation. 
where, well, gee, no one is talking about it. No one is saying, you know, that it's controlled demolition. I don't want to bring it up. And so then they, and they have people control the narratives and they just talk about, you know, the truth or movement as though these people are nuts. And so that just creates more intimidation. No one speaks up in public, in the media. And uh, young people are brought up in this, you know, situation and they're just socialized in, into, into the intimidation. Um, and that's what is so fascinating about the whole, you know, what I call kind of the open source information world of the internet. Because now, you know, since we, since so many people can actually contribute perspectives and facts uh, and analysis, you know, the old system is collapsing. I mean, if you look at the people who actually believe that the media is trustworthy, it's under uh, 35%. And uh, 19% of Americans, I believe is correct, uh, believe in the existence of Bigfoot. So when you get under, you know, 65% that don't believe it's trustworthy, you're just well, about... By the, by the way, the boys down south call them boogers. Yeah, okay, there you go. <laughs> but, but you see, I mean, I mean but so, so anyway, now... Because of, of this ability that the citizen has to communicate uh, with themselves without the oligarchs inserting uh, mind control or religion, um, it's just exploding. It's absolutely exploding. I went to a um, family member who lives uh, in San Francisco. I was there, you know, met some of the people of that generation and was talking to them. No one buys 911. Uh, no one believes in Fox News or CNN. They all understand it as propaganda. And they're all kind of developing the awareness they're going to have to completely replace the current government, that it's absolutely tipped to stern corrupt. They understand it's owned by the oligarchs. And um, uh, that, that this one guy said, we're going to have to replace it in the same way Uber is replacing the yellow cab system. You know, it just has to you know, we have to just take on all of the attributes of government one plank at a time and just replace it because the system we have is completely corrupt. It is just absolutely tip to stern, uh, you know, a, a device that is simply there for the oligarchs. And, you know, people say, well, who are the oligarchs? Well, um, you know, I would say you want to look into Freemasonry, but but that would just be one of the secret societies. You know, I mean, you have Bohemian Grove, you have Skull and Bones. But beyond this... Then, then there's, there's like the Italian mafia, the Jewish mafia. What I say is this. I say, look, what I want to get done is a DNA database of the oligarchs. Start getting details on the Rothschilds, on the Rockefellers, on the Bush families, on the Warburgs. I mean, the, the, the oligarchic historical families are did, pretty did you, well. Did you pay attention to the Al Smith dinner? Yeah, I saw it, yeah. Because that's a fine example of what the oligarchy is. Exactly, <laughs> right. And I would, and see, it's what, so what I want is, is that all of, and the media influencers should also be identified. And now I'm not saying, you know, steal DNA, because I think you can actually get family members of a lot of these people to just offer up. But what you want to do is to get a, um, a database so you can sit there and compare the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds and go, well, are they related? Because I think that's what you're going to find. You're going to find it's just one family that is, and that's how it helps. That's one of the ways, that's one of the centrifugal energies that holds it together is that it's a family that is widespread and has been at work trying to achieve this for thousands of years. And, but and there's, so, there's also, you know, if you look at uh, just even the Roman Empire was it? 
a couple thousand years ago. They're vying factions for power, yeah. different groups, family members, sure. But also there's and definitely old old money and that kind of thing. But well, it's, yeah, the oligarchy. But you, you know, you and I, we're just part of. Well, where the going? Where the going? Where the yeah, profane? We're, we're, we're just there to be slaughtered. Um, yeah. you know, and so I, I, I just give a like a, a little anecdote. I a few years ago I started asking for, um, you know, I, I would give the names of people I wanted to be identified, and one of them I always gave was Madonna. Oh, uh, because what? she's such a you know horror she's... Babylon cultural destroyer and well some I, people I, some people think that she's not even a <laughs> well I mean I'm just saying is that I, I'd like to know she... I, I didn't I would Miley Cyrus is another one so but I I was using Madonna as an example and then a few months ago someone sent me an article and they said check this out and and the article stated that Madonna when she travels now and tours she has a DNA cleanup crew. And I and I bizarre. thought I know. And I just, <laughs> so what I'm I'm going to make a prediction that you'll see in the future the oligarch class, both media and uh, finance, will be all traveling with DNA cleanup crews, right? Because they don't want this information to get out, and that's all the more reason why we really need to have it. Um, I am almost positive you're going to find it. It it is a, an ethnic family. Um, a secret society that has levels. Not everyone really is in on the deal, but it kind of plays out, and it encompasses the, these high levels of the secret society: Skull and Bones, uh, Bohemian Grove, uh, the Freemasons. I mean, so uh, and it's it's going to go also lead you back to Western Europe, because uh, you know <laughs> that we are part that you know they're the ones that colonized here. They're the ones that paid for it all. Uh, anyways, and. Uh, and uh, you're going to have to look at uh, uh, Israel. You're going to have to look at Zionism. You're going to have to look at uh, sure. You've got well, look, the Mossad. The Mossad was clearly involved with 9/11. I just did a reporting, and I'm not. Uh, you know, this whole thing about anti-Semitism is like almost like it's like, if you really think about it, in a way, it's been advantageous for a group of people, the unified effort, and to keep on perpetuating. You know, it's us and them type of thing. You know. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's no way. I mean, it's not a Semitic plot. Um, it, this is just it's a, it's a ludicrous concept. But what it could be is a group that uses ethnicity as one of the centrifugal forces. In other words, you could have a a group that came out of the first century that then that would have been basically the uh, what what are referred to as the tectons. That's a word that's in the Gospels, um, and it means. You know they use they use the word carpenter in the translations, but that's incorrect. It actually is better reflected as stonemason, and the word tecton in fact means Freemason um, today in in the modern Greek. So you know that's the that's the word as it comes through history, and I think the group is probably you know part of all of this. You've got this hatred of um, you know Christianity, a desire to basically you know. Um, um, you know, reverse what happened in the first century. Um, they, as they spread out, they never mention their this this ethnic allegiance that is ancient, um, and they don't express this even to common. You know, they wouldn't tell us to, to people in their families who weren't inside the deal. They would keep it right. very very um, um, close to the lip, close, close to the hip. And then, of course, um, you know, I talk about this a lot with this uh, person I do a show with called Jerry Russell. You know, there is the possibility that this group then could have inbred with a lot of other individuals. 
right? But if that's the case, if it's like a, an amalgamation of different, you know, kind of oligarchic families and maybe a, like a, a component that was first century um, Jewish rebellious, then that would be reflected in the DNA, you see. And then we would know the truth. Then we would know, well, who in the heck are the Bushes? I mean, why are they so weird? Why are, so weird? Uh, why are they yeah. so weird looking? <laughs> and weird looking and weird acting, you know, and, and like Cheney, people like this. Um, uh, what I would suspect, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, it's something that can be, you know, found out empirically at current technology is I think these guys are all related. And I think then if we had that, that database in existence, then when you had, you know, Bush versus Kerry for president, you could say, well, you know, guys, this isn't very democratic because you guys are related, you see. And skull and boners on top of it. Exactly. Well, that, that's your clue. But I mean, so, so but see, then the public would know the truth. And then now we would have a much higher quality of democracy because instead of electing, you know, Nancy Pelosi and, uh, you know, Chuck Schumer, we could, we could uh, elect people that, you know, were our family members. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but. Would they, you know, we got, we got to try, but would they let us? That's, 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 that's well, it's going to be a fistfight. I mean, you better believe that they don't want to give up power. But at the same time, um, the Internet is just creating this, you know, what I call open source news, which is a, a, a really difficult thing for the oligarchs to maintain. I mean, I think that they have. Um, you, call, you, call it, have you call it open source, but they call it an open sore. Well, they call it fake news. Well, at an open source. It's an open source, right? But but you know, it's just spreading so fast, and the modern, um, the young generation who's grown up with computers is just so used to doing information searching like this. They're used to, um, you know, parsing language very carefully. They're hard to fool, and there's right. also just a desperation occurring among old guys like myself. I mean, because we're seeing clearer, more clearly every day that. You know, we're basically in a um, a kind of second century situation where a new feudal system is being set up, and we're the serfs. You know. Yeah, and you know, like a guy like me, I, I'm one of those victims of this social programming. I'm 49 years old. I'm a single father who's raised my son since he was born. The majority of his life is now five and a half. Uh, uh, the, the wife, the, the, the ex, the ex, no, the wife, the ex, his mom. Uh, her mom was a product of uh, Wesley, was at Wesley College, and and uh, the Gloria Steinem's of the world, and has a double PhD, and, can, and uh, everyone's divorced. No one can maintain a relationship. Yeah. Women's got jobs. Guys like me can't find a job anymore. Used to have a good job. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so reversing the roles. Deliberately pushing that on you. So, and but you know, you go back now to time in your research. Wasn't something like that going on in Rome too? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, basically, what what happened with Constantine was you had a a group that was really what was the equivalent of the middle class uh, in 1950 America. They were called the Coloni, and they were able to go to uh, wild land um, and and own it. And if they could produce um, food on it, they would then uh, over a period of time own the land. This is where the expression colonialization comes from, from the coloni. The oh, coloni really? um, were the focus of the um, series of directives which history 
doesn't give uh, to uh, you know to to the our, our, to us currently. Uh, we learned that Constantine made Christianity the state religion, but he also set up all of these laws against the Colonna. And then, so what happens is um, you couldn't own land. Uh, you had to stay where you were born. Uh, your children could be taken and sold, right? Um, and um, and so by getting rid of the Colonna, they were able to reduce that that fraction of the population to a debased situation, and then they were easier to control. And so now you have all of these very cleverly designed, you know, government features and social features, which are um, basically just there to destroy the family. They want the family to be atomized, you know, the single mom, the single dad, e- even now in the inner city, very often, they, you know, there isn't even a, you know, a single parent for a lot of children that are. That and by are, the way, it's no longer it used to be the quote unquote, they used to tell you is the black issue. No longer is it. I'm a white guy. I mean, I mean, I'm, you know what I mean? So it's not even a, it's, it's gone past that. And, you know, yeah. it's, Absolutely. And, and, and these policies are deliberate. Um, you know, I, I wrote an article called Manufacturing the Deadhead. Yeah. It's about the counterculture and how this was created. And, and uh, you know, I give some in that article, I show some really good evidence. I show some actual documents of of how drug use uh, was promoted by the government. And I, do, and I do this with documents, not just with, you know, um, analysis. And so, you know, you can see that following World War II, the idea was, well, we need to get rid of the family to create a uh, deracinated and uh, basically defamilized individual that wouldn't have, you know, a family support system, wouldn't have an ethnic support system. I mean, they also went after the ethnicities. You know, they, they got rid of, with uh, forced integration, they got rid of these um, uh, ethnic groups, you know, that had existed in America for, you know, decades, you know, these Polish Americans, Italian Americans, and all of these were pushed into the, uh, you know, the white middle class. And and so they lost this kind of ethnic strength that uh, was part of what basically would have defended themselves against the uh, sophistry and the mind control, you know, so they, they, uh, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, feminism, were all basically uh, used as weapons. Uh, we got broken up. I mean, if you look at the family production and you know the all of the statistics, they just went off a cliff. Uh, you know, following the introduction of the Great Society programs, and so now you know families are rare. Um, and of course, the economy has also been dramatically changed. They got rid of all of the high-paying manufacturing jobs, crushed the unions. Um, and so you have uh, basically the individual is just a sitting duck. Um, and now, you know, how do you survive? Well, the government gives you a snap card, right? You have the welfare state, which is, of course, something that is. And I'm, I'm on that. You know, here I'm a, I'm a guy on sure. disability, raising my son. Uh, the mom, she's got, it's a big mess. I pay her, but she makes 70000 a year as a nurse. Yeah. I have yeah. to live on 1100000 and raise my son. Of course, and I live real close to the railroad tracks, and I, a reminder of a time when I was had a job making 100 plus G a year. But anyway, it doesn't really matter now because I'm. I, when you look at the my journey, and I'm glad everything happened the way it did. Uh, before we end this, yeah, I want to say a couple things to you. First of all, I want to apologize to you. A year ago, uh, you were rubbing me wrong, and uh, 
And, uh, uh, you know, I was uh, really irritated by what you said. I was still deep in this Christianity thing, but I kept on pushing. I kept on pushing and I kept on pushing. And the other thing, too, is I did a lot of research on the Jesuits, and I was one of those guys because you went to a Jesuit school that, you know, automatically you're a Jesuit, and I just, like, dismissed you like an asshole that I was. I mean, that's one of the things about Christian, being a Christian. I think it was the biggest, it turned me into one of the biggest jerks that I ever was. And I'm so glad that I snapped out of it. And that's why I had to start a new show because it was nothing but truth became very heavily Christian. But as I was going through, I was like, oh my gosh, how can I do this anymore? I can't, I can't be a liar. I mean, at this point, it's so many people. I mean, it, we're talking about six months ago and like saying, I really believe. Now it's today. I'm like, listen, the Bible says, the Jesus and Revelation, you know, he's the morning star. I, mean, I don't know what to say to you after that. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean Lucifer. Well, you know, the thing is, uh, <laughs> uh, there, there's just no more heroic act that a human can perform than, than to transform from one, um, you know, paradigm, intellectual paradigm to another. Nothing takes more courage. And so, you know, congratulations. I mean, I was just doing research into, you know, Christianity, the Gospels, like it was a puzzle. I like puzzles. I was just kind of sitting there doing puzzles when I came across the fact that the whole thing was uh, the Gospels were basically just typology representing Titus. I took I took my lit my my work and put it in a box for four years. I didn't even look at it. I was it was terrifying to me, and it just it was well, basically same thing, man. I, hear, I, like, you know, I knew Jan. I got right now uh, three feet away from me is the trivium. I mean, I have most of Jan's work. I knew about you know all this stuff and uh four years ago and but i rejected it. i think it was because of, of a lot of issues and i was just a fear you know what i mean the unknown yeah. being a single father dealing with ms how am i going to survive this situation and so it's it sucked me into this hope of some outside source that's going to save me well uh it's but you know something, look, <laughs> what we have to do is recognize that the thing that they took away was the brotherhood. Yes, I mean, we should have a connection to one another that's automatic and supportive. We should support one another in every way we can. And they demonize that too, man. They demonize yeah. it and they use yeah. the Freemasonry and the story of it as, a, you know, but there should be. I mean, that's what's another thing I was going to say. Well, we, I we, feel we, that you're a kindred too. spirit. I really feel you're yeah. a kindred spirit. I'm so glad that whatever happened to me and me snapping, I describe it as, you know, I, uh, I it's like a, I'm a, like a giant bowel movement, and I finally have passed the rectum and it's come out, of, you know, and I'm a better person now. I was in this in a pile of shit, and I come out of it, you know. I mean, the language kind of rough, but remember, I'm blue collar guy, so I could have my excuse. But <laughs> you know, the, I, you're a, you are a bro. I recognize when I now that it's like. And you know, have you ever noticed that in your life? There are like people that in your life that you did not like, and now you look back, you go, "Wow, I really respect this guy." He's a, he's, well, he's yeah. A, sometimes that's right because <laughs> they, they were um, ways that you could understand that the paradigm that you were using to understand the world with was fake. You're you know, challenging that, it. You're yeah, telling it, me it, I'm wrong. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it's just, <laughs> I mean, here's our situation. We have. Um, uh, our minds are our worst enemies because they have been completely developed by a group that wishes us ill. And so, you know, when you have all of this fake history, uh, intimidating authorities, you know, people like 
Gloria Steinem, you know, that, that will, you know, be, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, cruel to someone who, who you know, raises the idea that feminism has been a catastrophe to the family. You know, so when, when, you, when you have that moment where, you know, someone is rubbing you the wrong way and it's not quite clear what is the problem, that's a great time to just start analyzing, you know. Um, uh, and, but anyway, once you get to the point where you kind of see what's happening or, you know, to the point where we can agree on a lot of stuff, you know, on about how we were being um, basically genocided, enslaved, debased, genocided, we but, need to support you know, part, each other. Yeah, because where else do we go? We don't. That's, 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 the, that's go. the issue. There's a certain point you hit the wall, you're like, where do I go? Right. And so this is this is why you know really the want to congratulate you on your show because it is a way of creating the brotherhood and maybe we need a different word maybe it's like the um, something that incorporates the feminine you know side of all of this but that that creates the society of sanity that we all are part of you know it it because when you get out this information you 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 are helping people to get free of the mind control. You know, they get free of it just by being exposed to someone asking questions about it. And they learn how to think again. They they start to realize that, wait a second, I haven't been thinking at all. You know, I've just been programmed and, and I've been, you know, a response. And, and so when they when they have a show like this where they can, you know, hear the 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 discussion of the different sides and to see that, you know, there is so much um Conditioned propaganda in our minds. Hey, it's it's a way that people can start to to move into the sunlight. And when they do, the first thing is to 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 expand the society of ourselves, the society of sanity. The secret society dominates, and and you know it's killing us. You know it's killing us now with toxicities in our in our body, in the environment, with the financial system that's fake and and is you know, basically will collapse at a certain point. All of these things are designed to destroy us. We have to find among ourselves um, the love and the connection to support the effort to self-survive, uh, <laughs> to, uh, to, you know, I mean, the self-preservation is, um, is really what should be motivating us now. And, and with that, with that energy, you know, like, hey, we don't want to die. We don't want to just be uh, an event in history. We want our children to thrive. We want ourselves to be powerful in, in, on this planet. Um, we've got to realize how impotent our situation is and do something about it. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't see any problem saying brotherhood for many reasons. One thing is – Yeah, I don't either. There's, I mean, there's something about uh, – well, sorry to be crass, but there's something about vaginas that just screws up men's thinking. And the other thing is – I know that for myself. Look at me. I mean, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, the other thing is too is that you know, if you look at the past, you even look at the history of Western Europe or even in this country, that self-preservation is, is necessary. One of ways to self-preservation is brotherhoods, is because the it's, system, it's the system is the system yeah. is so oppressive, and I'm I'm one of these lone wolves, lone warriors, and like. And maybe that's more whom I'm supposed to be, but I certainly encourage other people to find that brotherhood and that real. I mean, I, I mean, this this country is created by gangs. It is run by gangs. So, which gang do you want to be part of? 
that's what it comes down to. You want to be, you know, I'm hoping to be a part of a gang that's that's really preserving the truth and it really cares about things like integrity and values that and the values to be honesty and all this kind of stuff. But at the same token, we got to recognize who we're dealing with. We're dealing yeah. with people that are completely honest. I, I want to be part of a gang that wants me to survive. Yeah, <laughs> I want I want to be part of a gang that doesn't want um, my body to have GMO and uh, plasticizers and and uh, you know a diminishing sperm count and and uh, um, children that are uh, you know getting all kinds of uh, uh, immune system disorders. I mean, I want that kind of a gang, right? The gang that controls the media and the government is always intimidating us and uh, telling us, oh, you know, you're you know this isn't real, you know, you're not sick. Um, you know, we're here for you. Um, and then you look into the data about vaccines and about these foods and you go, my God, they're just lying. They're just lying through their teeth. I mean, one thing that's, that, that's another thing about me is like this is another another example of how I'm a victim of the system. And, and men like me are a lot of us, uh, although I have my son most of the time because the way the, the court system is, and she's got full custody. She gets 500, 600 something dollars a month from me. I get, although I have most of the time, and she makes the decisions, and because she's part of the system and a, and a registered nurse, he's got the full battery of shots, and I just, it just, yeah. I, I see this how is, This is what we need to, you know, there it is. There, there's an absolutely textbook example where uh, we can't even control what goes into the bodies of our children. No. So this is this is a starting point, and it's also a, a cry to action, you know, call to action. Um, we have to change this and we have to start supporting one another. Um, you know, I, I, I just think that, um, you know, they, they talking, they, talking about these things is, is great, but it's also got to be some kind of resolutions come of heading in the right direction. Now I really believe, and I, and I hope that you join me again, uh, and more than just once. Cause you, uh, I really value this, this, this moment, this moment, this hour or so with you, um, I hope you can join again, but we have to oh, really I will. bring I it passion in the people's heads that listen. Because, I mean, part of the government psyop and mind control is to convince all these, and not necessarily weak-minded people, but people that have faith and believe in the fact that there's going to be a, a, a Messiah coming and a second coming and, and the end of the world. So listen, it's not in your book. Read it. Let us explain to you a little bit about what's really saying. When yeah. was this written? This has nothing to do with you. I mean, that's one of the most amazing thing. A book that's that's so old is still being influenced billions of people and has nothing to do with you. That, well, um, you know, that's just one of the challenges we have to do is to try to help, you know, people who have uh, been mental victims of the Christian literature to come to their senses. Um, and, you know, I... And most of them are going to hate us, too. Well, they will at first, but it's just like, you know, the example you gave earlier about the, you know, you people that are basically challenging the paradigm that you were following are the ones that you're, you know, you, people find most irritating, but they're also the most beneficial in many ways because they're the ones that start the process of thinking. Um, I really think that the, the power that is being created, the brotherhood that's being created by the Internet, through the open source information sharing, you know, they, they, they're trying to call it fake news, which of course is absurd. It, it isn't news at all. It's analysis. It's real analysis, not fake news. 
And law, um, it's just law reversal too. So. Exactly. You know, so they they have these terms, you know, that that they try to mind control us with. But I really think it's too late. I just think that the power of the um, of the of the individual now is really to some extent unleashed, and they they are more and more recognizing that there is a secret society that runs the finances, the government, and the media. And you know, once you're aware that it's propaganda. Um, the the person who's been put in front of you to influence you in a bad way, who, who has developed trust, right, because there's been this long-standing uh, relationship with this media personality, and now he's telling you that Pizzagate is just fake news, dismiss it, or you know, 911 was, uh, you know, was done by these, uh, you know, Arab terrorists. Um, you know, it's it's I, I just feel that like it's getting to be at the point where they just can't control us any longer. I mean, I'll give you an example. I don't think if 911 occurred today, the exact same events that they could have uh, made it last for more than like two days. I think there would have been a revolution because there would have been too much scrutiny, too fast. And there would have been millions of people in the street, not just tens of thousands. And I think that they would have uh, basically have, have uh, demanded justice on, on the people that they could have identified as having pulled the thing off. And it would have happened within a week. Because there's just the power of the people to scrutinize events is becoming too clear, too great. So if they're going to do, you know, these these uh, these false flags to try to manipulate us, they're going to have to be really sophisticated. Because frankly, the citizen is now getting more and more skeptical, more and more powerful in terms of doing analysis, and um, and that's really why, you know, I think the future is bright. It's bright couldn't get any darker, but it is in fact bright because we're going to, these, these powers are going to continue to develop. They can't be stopped. It isn't a process that can be stopped. Once it's started, it's going to go forward. It'll go forward now um, because it's the way that people can come to the best understanding of themselves, right? It isn't like some esoteric religion, you know, that you have to buy into, you know, some guru's vision that you can never really prove. I mean, the stuff that is that, that people are now coming, you know, in, in connecting with, it's completely real. And it gives them the understanding and the sense of being um, mentally powerful. Yeah. So I, I just think that uh, you'll see that. Financially, the, too, we look at our, our country's uh, yeah. allegedly uh, a third of all the, uh, the GOP is, uh, is being affected by all these tax-exempt organizations and churches in particular. Now, if they all had to pay taxes like the rest of us, um, you know, a lot of them would uh, Yeah, I mean, that, that's a very, that, that, you know, and also, like, uh, organizations that are, like, quasi-religious, like the Clinton Foundation, I mean, these things are also just cesspools. Um, they, they're just designed to, you know, to enrich the oligarchs at our expense. Um, you know, we are, but we're becoming aware of all of this, and we will replace them one plank at a time, my brother. We will replace them one person at a time. The thing because, is, don't be afraid. Yeah, don't, don't be talk. afraid. Don't be intimidated. I've been telling people, look, if you're at the point where you can really talk about 911 or Christianity or, or uh, um, you know, uh, um, uh, even Pizzagate, you know, um, get a coffee table. By the get way, out to the local farmer reason. market and just say, hey, First Amendment, I'm here to like as a citizen to discuss the issue. Because what will happen is this. With one person, it's very, very easy to be intimidated. Uh, you know, a nasty glance, someone makes a joke about you, you feel like, oh, I'm taking my coffee table and go home. 
But if there's five of you, and if you are supporting each other intellectually, it, it is a force that you'll see that, that the, the person who comes by and tries to intimidate it, that individual will realize that, well, wait a second, I can't, I can't stand up against that. And you'll see, you'll start to change whole communities. Whole communities can be changed by just a single coffee table at the right social uh, um, situation. Yeah. So, you know, time to get on with it. We need to um, get the coffee tables out there and start expanding exponentially. Yeah. Um, organize among yourselves. Get, get people who are like-minded and, and don't allow the normal intimidation to keep you silent. When you become a group, and it is the group around the coffee table, you'll see, you'll you'll see. Just trust me, you'll see that it you you won't there won't be the the sense of intimidation. It'll be just the opposite, and the community will respond. People love the truth. We're desperate for it. We're like people in a desert, you know, that has not been given any water. When you give them the real truth, when you give them your honest analysis, honest, honest analysis. They will respond. My new friend, thank you. And by the way, my old my old acquaintance, uh, Jan, I, I wanted him to be my second guest and to actually talk about the Pizza Gate, but he never responded. <laughs> so do me a favor. Next time you talk to Jan, say Mike Adams said hi and said hey. Yeah, I will. I, I, you know I'll the guy. To, the guy I'll, that you, I'll, I'll talk to him and, and we'll get together. But incidentally, you know, like um, I'm I'm going to be doing some um. Uh, some some research over the next two weeks, but after that, I'll be back and uh, we can get together again whenever you feel like it. I, I love being on your show and I really appreciate it. Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, t- uh, I'll get, I really want you to be on because I, I do think we're kind of spirits. Yeah, uh, this, sure message, this message of the past, you know, if we don't know our past, how do we know what we're doing? You know, what's the old saying? If you uh, well, you're, if you if you don't know your past, you're condemned to repeat it. And, yeah. And, uh, and that's what what is happening, unfortunately, because we are unaware of the origins of Christianity. They can bring about the neo feudalism. Um, I don't want to be a serf in a in a technologic feudal system. Um, that that doesn't appeal to me. I really want to be a a, a member of a democracy, and so. Uh, we have to learn um, how to use our democracy to to benefit the people, and not have it just be a a fake uh, dialectic, a fake conflict. You know, where we see a puppet show, um, and the the puppets are you know dramatic. You know, you have Trump or, or Hillary, but but you don't see the strings. You see, you don't see the people pulling the the strings because the the puppets are so effective in their drama. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sick of all this. Uh, I want to have a really effective democracy, and um, we're willing to do the work, aren't we, Mike? Well, that's <laughs> what I'm trying to do. Part of it is just come to, to figure out what the truth actually is. And it's, yeah, that's right, and it's all a process. Um, I got to go. I'm uh I'm out. Well, the door. my friend, uh, peace. It's been a great pleasure talking to you, Mike. And I, I, as I said, we'll we'll talk again soon. I hope. Okay. Yeah, I'll Skype you in a, in a couple weeks when you're done. All right, brother. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, uh, Joseph Atwell. What a name. That's a cool name, too. I wonder if that's Atwill. <laughs> Joseph Atwill. What a cool name. And anyways, it's Caesar's Messiah. Yeah, and listen to him in his interview, or the, uh, the show that he's doing with Jan Herman called Fun, and he has a very interesting guest, and uh, 
It's like total onslaught. That's what they do to us. The oligarchy, what is the oligarchy in these different gangs and uh, groups working on their own self-preservation at our expense? Check out uh, Joseph Atwell's work. You just simply look up uh, Caesar's Messiah. He's got the YouTube channel. He's named that, too, and uh, the book. He's got the website, and etc. Check out Gnostic Media. It really did uh, affect me. There's a lot of people affect me. A lot of people have changed me. Opportunity. Wednesday, hopefully, or so Thursday, should be having a Bill, William, William Bell, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to be talking more about the Predator's point of view of the uh, how all things were fulfilled in 70 AD and that we have uh, no business waiting for passively to happen when it's not going to I have Joe on in a couple of weeks, um, a couple of people I'm thinking about. I don't know, I got to talk to uh, Sean. Sean said he wouldn't mind doing it some kind of a weekly thing. It's kind of cool. You know, a guy I wanted to to, to, uh, to talk to, and I got to him today, but Brett, check him out. Well, I guess once you're free mas- Freemason, all uh, free, always a Freemason, but he uh, active for seven years and wrote a book pretty much exposing what it really is. It pretty much is a another one of these uh for most for most part is uh, tax exempt and uh, a pyramid scheme. So <laughs> imagine that everything's a pyramid scheme. Uh, even the Al Smith's uh, dinner if you look at it, they're all sit, sitting in rows and it's all set up to look like a pyramid. Good old, good old Don, Mafia Don, Donald Trump. He had uh, me there since he was a young child. That doesn't sound like a guy who's an outsider, that does it? Yeah. What can you do, man? One of the biggest things you can do is right now, don't get involved voting. Uh, if you are going to, you know, find people that represent you, your district, your your area. Really find people that you what's right in your conscience and uh, light that burns inside you. You know the truth. They do too, but they've been corrupted by to this world. So. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.